It's your breath in our lungs So we pour out our praise We pour out our praise It's your breath in our lungs So we pour out our praise to you only It's your breath in our lungs So we pour out our praise We pour out our praise It's your breath in our lungs so we pour out our praise to you only please take your seats Well, thank you for being here this evening, and um, I know sometimes, especially when it gets dark early, it's easy to uh, to stay home and and um, get some sleep and catch up on the football game. But um, we, I know, I appreciate those who come out on Sunday nights. And I appreciate uh, the encouragement, and I'm thankful for you. And uh, again, thank you for uh, the kind words that were said uh, for pastor appreciation. I got a few cards, and I, I just want to clarify: I'm not a pastor, and but I appreciate the cards. <clears throat> There's only one pastor of Blackstone Valley Baptist Church, and um, they. <clears throat> I've always heard it said that anything with two heads is a monster so I just want to clarify I'm not a pastor and uh, and uh, we know <laughs> thank you good good glad you know and uh, just just want to clarify that but um, not that someday I won't be but uh, not yet <clears throat> Last week we talked about the Garden of Gethsemane, and it was an agonizing time for Christ as he was praying <clears throat> essentially alone in the garden, and that we, we talked about the battle that took place there, the battle for our very souls. <clears throat> and it was an agonizing time for Christ. But uh, remember he prayed, Abba, Father, that, that sweet, endearing Daddy, that's what it means. Dad, Father, all things are possible. Take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And that should be the prayer of our heart. And uh, if this were a movie, we would be coming to the climax of the movie tonight. Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane. And then... Judas appears. Christ was an innocent man. <clears throat> he was violently arrested by a mob and subject to a sham of a trial. 
The trial that happened that night was illegal. And we're going to talk about that a little bit. But if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Mark. We're almost through with Mark, and I can't believe it. <clears throat> Mark 14. And again, Mark 14 is the longest chapter in Mark. So Mark 14, verse 43. Mark 14, 43. And immediately while he yet spake, cometh Judas, one of the twelve, and with him a great multitude with sword and staves, from the chief priests and scribes and the elders, and he that betrayeth him, and he that betrayed him had given them a token, saying, Whomsoever I shall kiss, that same is he, take him and lead him away safely. And as soon as he was come, he goeth straightway to him, and, and saith, Master, Master, and kissed him. And they laid their hands on him, and took him, and one of them that stood by drew a sword, and smote the servant, a servant of the high priest, and cut off his ear. And Jesus answered and said unto them, are ye come out against, as against a thief with swords and with staves to take me? I was daily with you in the temple teaching, and he took me not, but the scriptures must be fulfilled. And they all forsook him and fled. And there followed him a certain young man having a linen cloth cast about his naked body, and the young man laid hold on him and he left the linen cloth and fled from them naked. When they led Jesus away to the high priest, and with them, uh, and with him were assembled all the chief priests and elders and, scri and the scribes, and Peter followed him afar off, even into the palace of the high priest. And he sat with the servants and warmed himself at the fire. And the chief priests and all the councils sought for a witness against Jesus to put him to death and found none, uh, excuse me, for, for many bear false witness against them, but their witness agreed not together. And there was certain, there arose certain and bear false witness against him saying, we have heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands. And within three days I will build another made without hands, but neither so did their, uh, did their witness agree together. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, saying, Answerest thou nothing? What is it which these witness against thee? But he held his peace. And answered nothing. And again the high priest asked him. And said unto him, Art thou the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And ye shall see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the, he in the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest rent his clothes and saith, What need we 
any further witnesses. Ye have heard the blasphemy. What think ye? And they all condemned him to be guilty of death. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to buffet him and to say unto him, Prophesy. And the servants did strike him with the palm of their hands. Let us pray. Father, again, we, we are thankful for your word. And God, speak to us according to your word and your power and your Holy Spirit. And help us to see truth tonight and help us to see ourselves <clears throat> and again, we're thankful for those who have come out tonight, those watching online. And uh, we, we're thankful for this local assembly. We ask that you would help us to remember this great time in Christ's life and what it means to us as Christians. We again praise you and thank you for what you're going to do in Christ's name. Amen. In every drama, there are always characters. And in this message, I would like to examine five of the characters in this drama. And with each of them, we, we can learn a practical lesson that we can apply to our lives. First, I see Judas. And Judas teaches us, you can kiss the door of heaven and yet not get in. This is what Judas teaches us, for Judas, in that darkness of evening, it would have been hard for the guards to identify Jesus. This is why Judas had this signal, the one that I kiss. He is the one that you arrest. And he would go up to Jesus and say, Rabbi, teacher. And it sounded like a friendly greeting, didn't it? It sounded like uh, Judas was being kind to Christ as he approached him and called him rabbi and teacher. And, and <clears throat> you can almost hear the hiss. You can almost smell the venom. In Matthew's account, Jesus asked Judas, friend, why have you come? Even in his, Jesus knew that Judas was going to betray him, and yet he still called him his friend. You know why? Jesus was a friend to, to sinners. Jesus knew what Judas was going to do. And whenever I think about Jesus, I think about the summary of a life of Jesus written by a little boy. It goes like this. Jesus was born in, in Bethlehem in a barn. I wish I had been born in a barn, too, because my mom is always saying to me, close the door. Were you born in a barn? It would be nice to say, as a matter of fact, I was. During his life, Jesus had many arguments with sinners like the Pharisees and the Republicans. 
Jesus healed many leopards and even spoke to some Germans on the mount. Jesus also had 12 opossums. The worst one was Judas Asparagus. Judas was so evil that they had to name a terrible vegetable after him. And this little boy is truthful in the fact that Judas was evil. There are many names that will go down in infamy. Hitler, Stalin, Saddam Hussein, Osama bin Laden, and perhaps no name is as despised as Judas Iscariot. In Dante's Inferno, he portrays the many levels of hell, and of course we know that this is just a book written by Dante. And at the center of the deepest hell is Saint Satan. We know he's not there now. But Dante places Judas in the mouth of Satan, being torn to pieces by razor-sharp fangs of the devil. Judas came close to getting into heaven. As a matter of fact, he came so close that he kissed the door of heaven. In John chapter 10, Jesus proclaims himself to be the door. You see, <clears throat> in that passage in John 10, he's talking about a shepherd. In Bible times, they would have a, a sheepfold and and they would have a, a stone uh, a, a <clears throat> fold for the sheep where they would place the sheep and the shepherd would place himself at the opening of that sheep fold because he was literally the door for the sheep. The sheep couldn't go past the shepherd. And Jesus said, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved. He shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Judas is a warning to all of us that we can be religious. We can be doing good works. I believe Judas' motive for being Part of the 12 was not a righteous motive, but he wanted to get rich quick. Judas was associated with the followers of Jesus. And yet, he had association and participation with Jesus. And yet, he didn't have salvation. Could Judas have been saved? I believe that Jesus could have saved him. But Judas would not submit. We read later that Judas regretted what he did. And the Bible says in Acts 1.5 that Judas went to his own place. And sadly, that place was not heaven. He went out and hung himself. Judas is never mentioned again. And 
In Matthew and Acts, we read uh, the remorse that he felt. And what he tried to do was give the money back, those 30 pieces of silver. He tried to give them back to the Sanhedrin, and, and they said, we can't take it back because it's blood money. The Jewish leaders used that money to buy a field in Jerusalem, what's known as a potter's field. And to this day, as you drive around the old city of Jerusalem, there's a field there laying barren 2,000 years later. You can see to this day it's called a, a field of blood and, and nobody will build on this location. Ju Judas kissed the door of heaven and yet missed heaven. And what a warning to those who have religious affiliation and association and yet not salvation. Number two in this drama we see the second person, Malchus. Ah, who is Malchus? He's the high priest servant. He's not mentioned by name here, but we know his name is Malchus from John's gospel. The mob Judas led to arrest Jesus was a contingent of, of uh, these Jewish temple police. And these Jewish temple police were the only people that could open carry with a sword. They were sent there by the high priest, and some scholars believe that there were as many as 200 people coming to arrest this one man. Now imagine Malchus being brainwashed, saying this man is evil. He's done bad things, and if you want to help God, if you want to be a blessing to God, you will go with this mob and arrest him. Imagine Malchus. Yes, I want to be in favor with God. Do you know what Malchus teaches us? Your understanding of Jesus can change in an instant. Again, they're on their way to Gethsemane. This great mob of people, and they're going there, and maybe Malchus is leading them. They find Jesus. Judas, is, Judas kissed Jesus. They realize he's the one. They begin to attack Jesus and lay hands on him. And then Peter takes out his sword. Where did he get it? He was a fisherman. Uh, he traded some fish for a sword, obviously. We don't know how he got it. The Bible doesn't say, but he was a fisherman. Fishermen don't usually use swords. They usually use knives to fillet fish. But So he takes out a sword. And I believe Peter was trying to split the head of Malchus right open, right through, right through his... And he missed. Whether Malchus ducked or... He cut off his ear. And really, if I was Peter, I would say, oh, I meant to do that. 
right? Because it takes a skill to cut off someone's ear. If you don't believe me, ask a Vander Holyfield. <laughs> All four Gospels mention the account of, of a sword being swung and an ear being severed. So we know it happened. But only John's gospel identifies Malchus as being the high priest's servant. The servant's name was Malchus. And Jesus answered in Luke twenty-two fifty-one, and say, Suffer ye thus far. He touched his ear and he healed it. Now imagine with me. The scene is utter chaos. It's dark. There are shouts. There are screams, there are disciples running from the olive grove because the Bible says they all fled. Now imagine Malchus screaming in agony as he falls to one knee. Blood is pouring down his neck. You know that, that wounds in the head bleed a lot? So imagine this, this guy, I want to be as descriptive and gross as possible. I heard that Kayla, if she, she sees blood, she's a hemophobe. She'll pass out. As a matter of fact, let's test. No, I'm just kidding. Now imagine Malchus is screaming in agony. Blood pouring down. drenching his cloak. He begins to grow weak. Imagine all the thoughts running through his head. He couldn't serve on the Temple Mount now because he was disfigured. You couldn't serve in the Temple Mount if you were disfigured. They wouldn't allow you to. And then you feel a warm hand slip up under yours. And you look up and you see eyes filled with compassion. And you begin to feel and your ear is back on. How could it be? We don't know what happened to Malchus after that. But I'd like to suggest what might have happened. We'll have to get to, we'll have to wait to get to heaven. Whether or not you can disprove or prove this. But I believe Malchus entered that garden, brainwashed into believing that Jesus was a dangerous radical, a threat to the Jewish way of life. I believe Malchus's opinion changed in an instant. The, the moment he met Jesus, the moment 
One moment his ear was gone, and in the next instant it was restored. And I believe he thought, this man is no imposter. Imposter. And perhaps Malchus believed, we don't know. Over the next 12 hours, he watched Jesus being tortured and nailed to a cross and heard Jesus say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. We don't know. But here's what we do know. Decades later, when John penned his gospel, he thought it important enough to name Malchus. And we don't know why. Perhaps Malchus was one of those in the upper room, the 120. We don't know. The Bible doesn't say. But what we do know is Malchus is the answer to a Bible trivia question. Ready? Who was the last person that Jesus healed? Malchus. Malchus. If you have an encounter with Jesus full of grace and mercy like Malchus experienced, I believe your life will be changed and you will be changed. Number three, the third person in our drama, Peter. Peter! As we have mentioned, the mob arrived and Peter was zealous. And there's nothing wrong with zeal and emotion. No, no. But Peter drew his sword and took a hefty swing at Malchus. Obviously, he wasn't too efficient with his sword. He wasn't trying to cut his ear off, I don't believe. But Peter teaches us an important point. You don't have to defend Jesus you just have to trust him. Do we trust him like we should? Did Peter trust him like we, he should have? Remember, Peter was a fisherman, not a swordsman. So let's stop for a minute and admire the foolish courage of Peter. He was outnumbered, outgunned, and yet, he still was ready to slash away for the Lord. He was clueless about what was really taking place. And immediately Jesus rebuked him. And he said, it, he said this in John 18, 11. Jesus said unto Peter, put up thy sword in thy sheath. The cup which my father hath given me, shall I not drink it? And in Matthew's account, Jesus said, Put up thy sword, put up again thy sword in his place. For all they that take the sword shall perish with the sword. Thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to my father and he shall presently give me more than 12 legions of angels? Do you know who Peter represents? Christians who have a grudge. Christians who are angry. Christians 
who they fight the wrong enemy. Peter fought the wrong enemy. And listen, you can disagree with someone, but that doesn't make them your enemy. Just remember this. If a person is living and breathing today, they have a soul and they're going to spend eternity in one of two places. And more important than whether they're Democrat or Republican or, or conservative or liberal, it doesn't matter. Any of those things don't matter. If they don't come to the knowledge of uh, the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, they're going to die and end up in hell. It doesn't matter. We, we get caught up in all this stuff that's going on in the world. Oh, no, the sky is full. Look, stop. Trust God. It's so easy to say it's that person's fault. They did this to me. And look, we're on the edge of a civil war because America is, it can't live by this principle. And we as Christians should just stop. Stop. Take it. <gasps> My son does that from time to time. He goes, <gasps> I have no idea why. I say, let it out, let it out. <sighs> I'm convinced he learned it from his mother. Take a breath. Trust God. There was Peter trying to take things into his own hands. And yet that was not part of God's plan. And listen to me. If it has skin, if we believe it, if we say it, let's practice it. It is not my enemy. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Peter fought the wrong enemy. He used the wrong weapon. Do you know if someone really is bothering you, the greatest thing that you can do for them is pray for them? Number one, it will annoy them. And God will use you. We, we talked about that importunity this morning. God will use you to use it in your life to grow your faith. Change their heart, possibly. If nothing else, it should change your heart to trust him more. Importunity is helpless, urgent consistency. That's what importunity is. Helpless, urgent consistency. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Do we have a problem in this country? Absolutely, but it's not the problem you think it is. It's a sin problem. It's always a been a sin problem. It's the heart of man is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And we can say, oh, those people have wicked hearts. No, we all have wicked hearts. We're all wicked. 
So before we point the finger at someone and say, I can't believe what's happening. Yeah, me neither. I can't believe God hasn't wiped us out yet. And yet it is his grace and mercy that, that he sent Jesus and gave us all an opportunity for salvation. He used the wrong weapon. And then he had the wrong attitude. He was very pragmatic. And yet sometimes pragmatism is the wrong thing. He was trusting his sword for his confidence. As long as his sword was drawn, he couldn't trust Jesus. He didn't need to defend Jesus. He needed to trust Jesus. Number four, we see Caiaphas, the high priest. This high priest teaches us that religion can blind you from seeing God. You see, before Caiaphas was standing the very Son of God, God in the flesh, and yet he couldn't recognize that it was God because he was too blinded by his religion. The Bible says, And they had laid hold on Jesus, led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were assembled. This was the Sanhedrin. They were having this, this trial of Jesus, this Jewish trial, and it was illegal. Do you know why? Anyone know why it was illegal? I'll tell you. Because it was at night. The Jewish elders, the Sanhedrin, were, were not to have a trial at night. It was against their law. And yet they were willing to break the law to send this man to death. They were blinded by religion. And in doing so, they missed seeing God. There's a, a disease of the soul called spiritual blindness. And we've heard the old saying, there's none so blind as he who cannot see. And Caiaphas was the patron, patron saint of spiritual blindness. He was so enamored with the trappings and traditions of the Jewish religion that he was unable to see God in the flesh standing right in front of him. And today, there are millions of people who are trusting in religion to get them to heaven. They know the language. They perform the religious acts. And yet, it no more takes them to heaven than anything else. Matthew chapter 7 says, Many shall come to me in that day and say, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name done many wonderful works. These are religious people. And yet he shall say to them, depart from me. I never knew you. That's what it's all about, knowing Jesus. It's not about the religious acts. 
It's not about doing, it's about being. <clears throat> Do you know him? I mean, do you have that personal relationship with Jesus? That's what Paul wanted, that I may know him in the fellowship of his suffering. Number five, the final character in our drama, Jesus. What does he teach us? What can we learn from Jesus that earthly appearance has nothing to do with a heavenly reality. There's always a plot twist. And this, we're not going to see the plot twist here tonight, but there's always a plot twist. The earthly appearance has nothing to do with the heavenly reality. And things may seem like they're out of control on earth, but God knows exactly what he's doing. That's what that means. God knows what he's doing. If you had been there that night, you couldn't have, have missed the stark reality, the stark difference between Caiaphas and Jesus. Caiaphas was dressed like a king. He had the, the high priestly... Uh, elaborate costume. He had 10 different uh, uh, holy articles of clothing. He had, uh, he was backed up by the Sanhedrin and their judicial outfits. And by contrast, Jesus was standing there alone by himself. He was tied up. He had already suffered some physical abuse and being manhandled and, and uh, physical abuse by the mob. But earthly appearances have little to do with the heavenly reality. Over the next 15 hours, Jesus was going to be subject to torture and crucifixion. And yet during it all, he only uttered seven statements. Even in this time, he didn't say anything because he was fulfilling prophecy. And in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 7, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, and yet he opened not his mouth. He, brought, he, was, he is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before his shearers is dumb. He opened, so he opened not his mouth. Caiaphas tore his priestly robe in a sign of horror. How dare this man speak blasphemy? What did he say? He said, I am. Do you know that was what God told Moses? The burning bush, I am. How dare Jesus claim to be God? And yet... He was innocent. And we're the guilty ones. And immediately the torture began and the guards spit in the face of God. 
I was reminded again recently that spitting is a sign of uh, you, you give up your rights. <clears throat> so when you spit at someone, it is a, uh, help me here. Uh, it's an offense, yeah. You can be, you can be prosecuted for, um, I'm thinking of that girl recently in the news who spit on an officer and she was assault. That's what I'm thinking of. It's assault. It's considered assault, spitting on someone. And yet they assaulted the king of kings. And he said this, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. We wouldn't have that kind of grace and mercy. In 1994, there was a 17-year-old named Ryan Matthews. He was arrested and charged with the murder of a convenience store clerk in Bridge City, Louisiana. When asked to enter a plea, he said to the judge, not guilty. He claimed he had never been into that convenience store, and the Surveillance video showed that the shooter was wearing a ski mask, but Matthew's attorney never had the DNA in the mask tested. So, after only an hour's deliberation, the jury declared Ryan Matthews guilty of murder and sentenced to death. Ten years later, the trial was reopened and when DNA from the mask and other <coughs> evidence excluded Matthew as a sub suspect, after 10 years on death row, his conviction was vacated and he was released. Can you imagine how it must have been for an innocent man to be arrested and held on death row and that was the case with Jesus Jesus knew what it was like he he was innocent <clears throat> he was an innocent man even though he could have defended himself eloquently he didn't he chose to accept the sentence of guilt and go to the cross Jesus was an innocent man who was declared guilty so that many guilty men and women, us, could be declared forgiven by the blood of the cross. Imagine you're standing before the judge of the universe and he asks this question. You have been charged with sins against a holy God. How do you plead? Your answer should be, I am guilty of sin but I plead the blood of Jesus and cast myself on his mercy and grace. The gavel falls. And the judge says the blood of Jesus Christ, God's son, cleanses 
of all sin. So you are declared not guilty, not innocent, forgiven. So much better. Forgiven. The events of that infamous evening reverberate down the corridors of time. The greatest among all the events, events of that evening was our Lord's determination to endure whatever happened so that he could give his life as a ransom for many. So here's the question. Have you given him faith? Have you received Jesus? Have you entered that personal relationship with him? Furthermore, have you given him worship and love for everything he endured for you? When was the last time you thanked him and praised him for who he is? Have you turned back from the world? When we think about these five characters and what they teach us, it is convicting. So much of the time we can see ourselves in these characters in this drama, but hopefully, if nothing else, you see the Savior wanting to redeem his people, wanting to redeem the guilty, the innocent, wanting to redeem the guilty. Let's stand. Father, again, we thank you for this portion of Scripture. We pray your Holy Spirit would do a work in our midst. <clears throat> and again, God, we ask that you would help us to be faithful. Help us to take the lessons that we learn from these characters, these individuals, these actual people, and to apply them to our life. We ask all these things in the name that's above every name, the name of Jesus. Amen. Some music.